0: Well, we got a couple of kind corporate sponsors today, Casper and FreshBooks. I'll be telling you more about them in a minute. This is Dan Miller, and yes, you're listening to the 48 Days Radio Show, where each week we take about 48 minutes to dive into real-life questions about finding your passion, deciding what kind of life you want to live, and then finding or creating work that allows you to show up every day excited to be able to do something that is meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable. Hey, this is where normal indecision and ambiguity come to die welcome to the 48 days radio show well last week a listener asked if i were invited to give a university's commencement address what would i tell the graduates had some fun with that got a lot of feedback on that this week another listener asked what would you tell a junior or senior in high school who has yet to decide on a major now my suggestions include allowing yourself to explore the freedom of Exploration, follow your curiosity, find ways to make money, even if you don't want to be an entrepreneur. Shadow professionals who are doing work that you think you might enjoy. Got some other suggestions. We'll get to those in a little bit here. Well, here's some other questions on deck for today. Is it better to show that I'm not working, if that's the reality, and focus in on improving myself, or do I need to show employment on my resume? Recently, I earned my MBA in management. Now I find myself between a rock and a hard place. I have been finding that I'm overeducated, but lacking in work experience. Someone wants to know, how do I leave a job gracefully when I've only been here for seven months? And then one was a carryover from last week I didn't get to. Should I continue to stay at this miserable job while working my business on the side? Look for a new job with potentially less favorable hours in the interim or go For my business full time, I'll give you a a formula, some guidelines you can use to make that decision easily. Well, our quotation today comes from Mark Ross. Mark is one of our 48 Days Mastery Coaches. And he said to just this week on a conference call, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm on the right path. I like that. Not where I want to be, that's okay. None of us ever get totally to where we want to be. It's always an ongoing opportunity to get there, but I'm on the right path. Having the confidence that you're on the right path. That's a great, great place to be. Well, here's a couple of success stories. Vincent said, Dan, you want a success story? I'll give you a big one. i mentioned in the 48 Days Eagles group that I've been working with Kyle Schultz of Schultz Photosco photo school on an online course to help parents take better pictures of their kids playing sports. You and I have talked about how I've shot professional sports for 23 years shooting Super Bowls, the world series, etc. You have plant the seed for this years ago. Before that, I thought I could only make money shooting the assignments, magazines and newspapers gave me never crossed my mind that I could teach what I've learned all these years to parents who want to shoot awesome pictures of their kids playing sports. Just know that when I was a newspaper photographer shooting sports every day, my salary was in the low $30,000 range annually. Now here's the deal. Vincent just launched a course on how to shoot great shots of your kids playing sports. The course launched last Friday in the first day of the sale. The course brought in more than $33,000. And that was the first day the full course at full price doesn't launch until this fall. Talk about an acres of diamonds. Thank you for thank you to you for guiding me and helping me see that we have all have our own acres of diamonds under our feet. Okay, now here's the deal he launched this course, but he's given our 48 days community access. a free nine part course that gives you tips one tip a day on how to take better sports photographs for your kids i mean this is really cool i've been in there browsing around already vincent is a pro he's at the top of his game he takes shots you know at major sporting events major athletes celebrities he's the guy has a book that he's just put together. But anyway, now this course, but here's a free course for you guys Schultz Photoschool.com slash sports. Schultz is spelled S H U L T Z, Schultz Photoschool.com slash sports. Awesome. Thank you, Vincent. Congratulations on your course launch. What a great story. And then thank you so much for sharing that. I'll put that in a show notes so you don't have to remember it. You can go to 48days.com, click on the podcast link, and I'll have the the click there where you can go and get that course for free. Well, this comes from Anthony. It says I'm a regular listener to your podcast. Been listening to your podcast for three years. Uh, last year I released my first short ebook on customer service got a good response from people at work about it to the point that my manager liked it and suggested I write a full book. Uh, So this, he wrote another ebook on customer service. The ebook is titled How to Listen to Your Customers Effectively. It's available on pre-order on Amazon now, be out on Friday, May the 12th. So it's been out about a week as I'm reading this. I want to thank you for being a mentor and inspiration to my wife and I. Well, Congratulations on getting your book out there, how to listen to your customers effectively. Now, those of you who are listening, who are thinking, wow, I've got a subject title that I could write an ebook on. Go check it out. Check out other listeners who are doing these things. So you see a prototype of how it can be done, how it can be done well, how to listen to your customers effectively. That's what we want you to do. Uh, I had a couple guys who were here at Innovate last week. We had an amazing group here, just an awesome crowd sharing ideas and uh, sharing ways that they are turning their dreams into reality. But John Laxo and Ben Barish were here. They're partners in a company called Valley Way Media. Valleywaymedia.com. Now, here's what they did prior to coming here for Innovate. They took the song, the iconic song that we play at the end, 48 Days to the Work You Love. They took that and did a video overlay that is just spectacular. Now, I wish I could show it to you here on audio so you could appreciate it. Uh, but it's, it's just one more thing that creative people in our community are doing. They did this video and it is spectacular. We'll figure out a way to put a link to that at some point up there. But thanks again to John and Ben for doing that. Now I need to alert uh, Todd and Emily who wrote the song, did the song originally, uh, that that's been done. Let them see how somebody's added extra value to that song. Well, you know, you know what? I haven't done this in a couple of weeks. I need to bring up, bring this up here. So I play our little "We Are the Champion" link here. We are the champions, queen. Hey, if you've got a story that you want me to include in the success stories here, we're going to be having a new podcast that is devoted totally to just the success stories. And uh, I'm excited about getting that up. Again, i got a volunteer who's going to head that up. Ed Yarborough is going to be doing that, where he's going to be taking just success stories. So get yours in. We're going to be doing a special podcast series that has just success stories. But if you got a story, just shoot that to me at askdan48 at 48 dayscom Quickest way to get me either a question or a success story that you want to share. Now let's get our sponsors some uh, promotion here and then we'll move into the questions. So you're racing against the clock to wrap up three projects, prepping for a meeting later in the afternoon, all while trying to tackle a mountain of paperwork. Welcome to Life as a Freelancer. Challenging? Yeah, but our friends at FreshBooks believe the rewards are so worth it. The working world has changed. With the growth of the internet, there's never been more opportunities for being self-employed. Now, to meet this need, FreshBooks is excited to announce the launch of an all-new version of their cloud accounting software. It's been redesigned from the ground up and custom-built for exactly the way you work. Get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, get paid quickly. The all-new FreshBooks is not only ridiculously easy to use, it's also packed full of powerful features. You can create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds. Set up online payments with just a couple of clicks and get paid up to four days faster. You can see when your client has seen your invoice and put an end to the guessing games. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to my listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash 48days and enter 48 days in the how did you hear about us section. You know, uh, one of the coolest things about FreshBooks that I really find myself appreciating day after day is creating invoices. It's so easy. You know, save my template in there. I just change a couple of figures. There's an invoice. Send it. And yes, people, you can see when people see it, know that they actually opened it. And of course, give them options for payment quickly, right on the spot. Hey, I also want to mention my friends at Casper. You've heard me talk about the mattress that Joanna and I sleep on, the one that our guests fight over to sleep in the room that has a Casper in it as well. Grandkids, that's where they want to be. But it's a sleep brand that has one perfect mattress sold directly to consumers. So there's no in-between places. You get it directly from the factory. They have a sleek design that comes to you delivered in a, in a box. It's one of those amazing things. You can't believe it's in there, but it actually is. But they really have revolutionized the mattress industry by not only cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms, but just passing that savings directly on to us as consumers. I want to encourage you, if you're in the market, check out my friends at Casper. Just go to casper.com dot com slash sleep you love and then use the promo code sleep you love I and mean, we made an easy thing you know we talk about work you love sleep you love is just equally as important casper.com slash sleep you love and then use the promo code sleep you love to save fifty dollars off your purchase now, this, I got, got a question from Greg Tosi, who's very active in our new 48 Days Eagles community. He's a leader there, has a Wednesday night meetup with people. But he says, I love the question last week about you, what you would tell college graduates at a commencement speech. Conversely, Greg says, what would you tell a junior or senior in high school who has yet to decide on a major? how would you encourage them to find the right major or even explore entrepreneurial pursuits instead of this well-worn path of, yeah, just go to college and find a day job. Well, Hey, I love your question. And yes, I'm asked this a lot. And I try to put myself back in that situation. You know, when I was in high school, golly, I wasn't thinking about 10 years out. I wasn't thinking about three years out. I was just having fun going to school, just saw it as something to kind of get finished. But I wasn't serious about looking at my career path at that point. Um, I hope that some juniors and seniors in high school are more serious about considering what their options are. But I don't think we need to force them to make a decision that they're going to have to live with for the next 40 years. I really encourage high school juniors and seniors to allow yourself the freedom of exploration, follow your curiosity. What are the things that interest you? Yes. Then go deeper on that and explore those things. Yes. I would encourage you to find ways to make money. I mean, that's one of the things that we do with our grandkids. Even if we know that ultimately they may get a job. That's okay. But I still want them to see the connection between how money is made. You do something that has value. You don't just walk into a building every morning and then hope they give you a paycheck at the end of the week where you really don't see the connection. I want them to have a lemonade stand. I want them to mow yards and wash windows, you know, bake poppy seed muffins, all those kind of things, you know, write a little book, sell an ebook. You know, there are a lot of things that kids can do. And I encourage them to do that again, even if we aren't going to encourage them down the entrepreneurial path, just to see that realistic connection in how money is actually created. Oh, I would encourage juniors and seniors in high schools to shadow professionals who are doing work that you think you might enjoy. Read books outside of what's required for your high school courses to discover new possibilities I mean get involved in the local chamber of commerce to meet with people from different industries. Um, we have some amazing resources here in the Nashville area. And certainly most places where you live would have things that are equally as awesome, but we have an entrepreneur center. You know, we have programs through the rotary club that are encouraging young people to get involved. You know, there are nonprofits that are going to welcome young people being involved to see the needs of humanity and how to serve other people well. So those are some things that you do to give yourself a well-rounded, robust life and exposure to a lot of things. Even if you don't narrow down on just one thing that you want to do in your occupation, in your career, that can come later and that's likely to change many times. Well, Kevin says, when I was younger, and this is kind of a, a catch 22 that Kevin describes here. He says, when I was younger, I was always taught the importance of being flexible in work and trying new things. I was told that it was more important to show that you're willing to work anywhere and do anything than do nothing except unemployment because it's not the perfect job. Now I have years of survival jobs, retail, call centers, et cetera, on my resume from the times I went back to school and times when I was working to part-time jobs because I couldn't find a full-time position hurting my resume at every interview. Is it now better to show I'm not working and focusing on improving myself or should I, you know, fill those gaps with showing that I'm employed? Well, Yeah. You know, this is a challenge when there seems to be, and certainly you you, you hear it even from me, you know, I want you to be a specialist. Yes. At some point you have to decide specifically what you're going to do to separate yourself from the pack. Don't just be a generalist. But in the early years of a career, it is important to do a lot of things, to give you exposure to a lot of things. So I don't think there's any harm in having done what you describe here, Kevin, at all. But at this point, when you are looking for the next position, then you do need to narrow down in terms of describing two or three areas of competence that you have. So at this point, you don't want to show yourself as a jack of all trades, master of none. No, choose from the many things that you've done, two or three things where you can really show that you're competent in doing that. You know, it could be great customer service. It could be graphic design. It could be computer programming, but narrow down to two or three things that really fit together so that it would position you for a unique opportunity. And you do need to show that you, know, you need to fill the gaps in terms of what you've been doing the last couple of years. You can't just show that you've been kicking around, you know, doing odd jobs, Narrow down You can do in your resume, you can do a functional resume rather than a chronological one where at the top part, you don't show all the dates and all that. You just show areas of competence. These are things that you do well, and it could be drawn from something that you did five years ago. That's okay. But these are areas of competence that you really want to continue to develop and use in moving forward. Then you do have to show just an overview. I mean, you can, if you worked in a position for six months and then you started a new job in June of that year. So you started a new job in June of 2015 and you worked that job until January of 2016 you can show those two entire years as being filled by that job that you only had for five months Just show 2015, 2016, boom, this is where you were. So you can cover a lot of gaps in short-time things. You don't have to go through month by month by month. Just use years and show an example of a job that you had in that year. That's certainly adequate. It's not misrepresentative. And you can do that to fill the gaps, but yes, show that you've been involved in the game. Got a couple other job questions here. Scott says, I had a job interview about four months ago and I felt I connected really well, but I did not get the job. I feel like I was asking for too much money. I went to four interviews with the company. I'd like to get feedback on why I did not get the job for future reference. Would it be right of me to call the manager and ask for feedback? I now have what I consider to be a much better job. Scott. If you had four interviews, that tells me they really were serious about you. They really did want to work something out with you. So I'm not sure what it was either that caused you not to get that job. Can you go back and ask the manager what it was? Yeah, you absolutely can. You've earned the right to do that by investing four times that you went to interview with him. Is that manager likely to really be honest with you and tell you? No, not really they're not likely to do that. You know, they're going to say, well, we found somebody whose skills was a better match for the position, but they're not going to tell you, gee, you know, we didn't like the fact that you wore the same red shirt every time you came in for four times and we questioned your personal hygiene. I mean, they aren't going to do that. I mean, there's so much concern about litigation these days. They aren't going to tell you, gee, you were too tall, too short or the wrong ethnicity or what they aren't going to do that. So I'm not sure what really you're going to get as honest feedback. Can you do it? Yes, but don't expect much. That's really going to help you in moving forward. Here's another one. This question ties in as well. Another job search question. So Aaron says, uh, Dan, thanks. Uh, you've helped me get reorganized in my life. Recently I earned my MBA in management and now I find myself between a rock and a hard place I've been finding that I'm over-educated, he says in parentheses, not sure how that works, but lacking in work experience when applying for positions I offer that I receive the MBA to deepen my understanding of management and business practices to be more effective in the workplace. I see that I'm qualified for many positions in higher education. However, I would rather work in my area of study. Do you have some thoughts on how to overcome the overeducated stigma? This is that elusive kind of thing that I hear again and again and again. You're overeducated. You're overqualified. And it's a nice way to tell people, we really don't want you on our team. What you have to do, Aaron, in terms of your own understanding and handling of this is recognize this is a smokescreen. When people tell you that you're overeducated or overqualified, it's a smokescreen. They're really telling you something else, but they don't have the guts to be that honest with you. So you have to get past that and looking at what is it that's causing people to not want to have you on their team. I mean, when when I hear this, you know, you're, you're overqualified. I mean, think about what is the reality here. In, in what setting would being overeducated eliminate you from consideration? I mean, if I go to a mechanic, take my Corvette in, and my, my mechanic, I see several certifications that he has on the wall there. How likely am I to tell him, I don't want you working on my car anymore. I'm afraid you're too smart. You're too educated. I mean, if you show up for a simple physical exam and find out that the doctor is a cardiologist, Are you going to back off because he's overqualified? I mean, it it just isn't going to happen. If you're choosing a massage therapist and discover that um, one contender has a PhD in anatomy, are you going to eliminate that person? No. I mean, if you need a receptionist with a great personality, are you going to reject that candidate that you like the most? If you discover at the last minute that she has a master's in English literature, I mean, no. I mean, in in any of these situations, the only justification for telling a person they're overeducated is likely to be found in this list. We think you're overselling your abilities. We don't think you'd be a team player here. We don't like you. We don't trust you. You want too much money. We think you're too arrogant and condescending. We suspect you're going to leave as soon as you find something better. Now, Please hear my gentle counsel here. Being told you're too experienced, overeducated, overqualified is simply a politically correct way of telling you they aren't convinced they want you on their team. So the statement is a disguise. It's a safe way to make it sound like they're actually complimenting you, but it doesn't realistically have anything to do with your qualifications, your knowledge, or your talent. It's a meaningless term to tell you that now that you have an MBA, you're overeducated. It just protects the company from being completely honest and candid about the real reason they don't see you as a good choice. So forget about your degrees. Work on your interview skills so that people like you, trust you, and want you to be around. I mean, here's the deal. When, when somebody tells you you're overeducated, overqualified, you can walk out of there Feeling puffed up or beaten down. It it doesn't matter. Neither one matters. The fact is you don't have a job. You're not a fit with them. Keep looking. You don't need everybody to accept you and love you. Just one. But you got to move toward that. So continue doing that. Don't try to deal with the fact that you're overeducated. Deal with the fact that you want people to know, love, and trust you. Work on that. And they'll love the fact that you've got those degrees. Well, hey, just a quick breather there in the music to uh, remind you that these are real life questions. Welcome your questions. Love opening that magic mailbox every Wednesday morning when I do the actual podcast recording. But if you got a question, just go to 48days.com. Click on the podcast. You can leave it there. You can leave an audio message if you want to use the little microphone. Or you can just do like most people do and shoot me an email at askdan at 48 dayscom This comes from Wendy. Wendy says, I left a high-stress job as an executive eight months ago and took a less stressful job with less hours, but great pay. I also started a business with the goal to eventually work entirely for myself. I'm miserable in my new job, however. The job sucks my energy dry and I'm being micromanaged, which is difficult after having a lot of autonomy in my last job. My heart just isn't in it. And I feel that it's taken away from my business. My business is still new and not producing much of an income yet. My question is, should I continue to stay at this job while working my business on the side? Look for a new job with potentially fewer hours in the interim or go for my business full time. Okay. So, Wendy, you started this job eight months ago. So you're new in the job. Got another question right after this. It's going to kind of deal with leaving a job quickly as well, but let's stick to the facts here. Here's what I want you to do. You you have this job. You aren't thrilled about it. You know that you have a business and your goal is to eventually work entirely for yourself. That's where you start. Start with what you want your life to look like three years from now. If that's working for yourself, with a successful entrepreneurial business, then the question is simply, how soon can you make that a reality? I mean, if you really know that three years from now, you want to have your own business and have the open-ended income and time flexibility that comes with that, you aren't just going to make yourself stay in a job for three years if you knew you could make that happen next month. So the only question is, how soon can you make that happen? I mean, if you're spending 15 hours a week now, your business? How much money are you making? Can you get to 50% of your job income in the next six months? So let's approach it like that. Could you, if you really focused using your 15 hours a week wisely and your side business, could you get it ramped up to where you were duplicating or replicating 50% of your real job income in six months? If so, then my suggestion is to stay in your current job. Don't switch from your current job. If you take another job because this one isn't a good fit, there's going to be another learning curve. You're going to slow down the process of getting into business for yourself. If nothing else, just for the implied obligation of staying there for a period of time But just the new learning and all that's likely to be part of any new job, it's going to slow you down. So if you can see that in six months, you can get to 50% of your current income, I'm saying use the job you have now as the transition tool. And if you get to 50% and you clearly see how using 100% of your time would allow you to triple or maybe even quadruple your income, then make a clean transition. So start with what you want your life to look like three years from now, and then work backward to tell yourself how quickly that can happen. That's the determination. If in fact you really believed it was going to take you three years of just growing your business very slowly, I can't imagine what situation that would be. I can't imagine any business that you would start on the side where you could not replicate your current income in six to 12 months. That's really what I look for. If you can do that, don't take yet another job to slow down the process. Just use the job you have now to allow you to make that transition. So as soon as you see that you're at 50% and you see the trends, you know what else you can do. I, I, I give you a license. You're home free. You can uh, run the bases. Don't have to except $200 Pasco. What is that a monopoly? I forgot exactly how that goes, but anyway, you're home free at that point. And I've seen lots and lots of people worked with lots of people who have gone through exactly the transition that I just described to you. All right. Now here's another kind of related question. This comes from Bob. We got a lot of work related job related questions this week. I've been in information technology. Bob says for over 20 years, about seven months ago, I left my it position with an organization where I had spent nine years. My new role is in IT management and I lead teams of great people. In the last seven months, I've been a major factor in saving the organization over $300,000. And the people on my team really appreciate my work for the organization, my skills in helping my team work well together using personal development skills and interacting better with other teams. My dilemma is this, the after hours and weekend calls are much more than I expected. Uh, Bob says, I'm not on call, but the leader, but being the leader for critical teams means the buck stops with me. And a new boss was recently hired over me. Who's a strong micromanager and has other negative qualities, which conflict with my sense of integrity. Here's the question. How do I handle the 48 days method when I'm looking to leave a place where I've only been employed for seven months? Well, Hey, while I collect my thoughts for a minute here, we need some good old Southern redneck inspiration here. How about this? Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. Well, I suspect the details vary a little bit there. But how do you leave a place where you've only been there for seven months? Now, one of the things that you're describing here, I mean, this does concern me a little bit because we're not talking about flipping hamburgers at McDonald's where they got 10 other people that will walk in today looking for a job and they can replace you. If you're in a management position, they went through a significant amount of work time and expense to interview and select you in the process. I'm sure seven months is a pretty short period of time at that level of position. Yeah, you can leave. Believe me, you know, you, you've got every right to leave. I assume you don't have any kind of employment agreement or contract or one year or anything you can, you can leave. You can give two weeks notice and be gone, but maybe kind of a sour taste in their mouth to have you leave that quickly. I would encourage you to slow down a little bit and kind of look at the bigger scope of things here. Also be realistic about what did take place. If they paid moving expenses or gave you a sign on bonus, you know, then I think there's kind of an implied one year obligation as a minimum. Now in the IT, you know, information technology world, there's a lot of movement. People move around, things change. We know that. And it's not uncommon. I mean, we know that the average job overall at this point is only about 2.1 years in length. So yeah, a lot of people leave after six months, but usually not at a management level. Usually at that, it is a two or three year period of time. I wouldn't encourage you to take a fresh look kind of at what has happened here. You've saved the organization over $300,000. You're valued in terms of what you're doing. Instead of just walking out the door, what if you talked to the management there and said, look, you know, I agreed to this position based on 40, even 45 hours a week, but I didn't anticipate the after hours and weekend calls. We need to put some boundaries on that. We need to have shared leadership for that, or I need to be available one weekend a month for those, but not all the time. You know, just talk to them about that even the fact that you've got a new boss, you probably have somebody who's a superior over him. Take your concerns up a level. There may be other people who are feeling the same thing that you are, this new guy's micromanaging and they're cringing. Maybe he needs some leadership training. Maybe you can be a part of that. You know, you talk about using personal development skills to show people how to interact better with other teams. You might Propose. I mean, just this week I had a gal who's one of our 48 days coaches. She saw a new leadership team come in. It was in her city. She called the new mayor and asked to meet with him. She said, I'm a leader in the community. I want to know what I can do to help. He met with her and she said, what do you need? He said, I need people who are willing to take leadership. She said, I can do that. She says, What else do you need? He says, I need those people then to be taught how to be good leaders. She said, I can do that. She made a proposal. She created her own position by telling him what she could do. You have the opportunity to do the same thing here. Tell the company what's needed and what you have as a solution already formulated. That's what I would do before you just walk out. Now, again, If everything fails, if this is a horrible situation, you've been there seven months, you start a job search now, spend another month doing a job search, so you have been there eight months, that's not the end of the world. I mean, companies know that that happens. But uh, it sounds to me like there may be some ways to salvage what you've got and make it better. If you leave every time there are a couple things that don't fit perfectly, you'll find yourself running from other opportunities. Take the approach, how can I make this better? How can I identify and provide a solution for the things that are annoying me and probably other people as well? Great question. Um, Linda asks, she says, I've been working as a Spanish teacher for almost 10 years in a private school. This year we decided will be my last year teaching here. We own a few Airbnbs and we want to spend our time raising our kids with the freedom that we can leave and go to the South in the winter as much as we want. However, teaching Spanish has been my passion. The principal of my school gave me a contact of a company that was looking for a Spanish tutor. They interviewed me and hired me to teach for them a couple hours a week. I now realize that teaching in a corporate level, I can make almost the same money as a full time teacher working only two hours a week. But how can I position my tutoring Spanish class and my Spanish coaching without losing my freedom? Golly, I love it. Now let's look at that a little bit. So, Linda, you're used to being in, in a classroom, been teaching for 10 years. This year's going to be your last year, and you've got some properties that you rent out, lease out with Airbnb. So it's creating income for you. You've discovered a taste of freedom. You're the sister-in-law of Jamie Slingerland, who we know well in the 48 Days community. And they really understand. Jamie and Ruthie and their kids have traveled more in the last couple of years than anybody I know. They uh, uh, rent their house out use an Airbnb, make money every day that they're gone and go places all around the, the country. And actually, we're just in Puerto Rico, if I remember seeing that. So you, you see what is possible there and rightfully so. When you are doing tutoring Spanish and Spanish coaching, let's, let's say that you're teaching with this company for a couple hours a week. Do you have to be there in person? Could you teach using Zoom or Skype? Now, certainly with your coaching, you can do it like that. What you may need to do is train your clients in the new use of technology that's more efficient for everyone involved. I mean, for you to not have to come into their company. I mean, when you come into their company immediately, you're using real estate space as an example. You're gonna have to have a meeting room. If you've got five people, that you're tutoring, have them jump on a zoom call with you. And then on a zoom call, you can be anywhere that you want to. I mean, my daughter, Ashley continues to work for me. Uh, we do multiple zoom calls during the week with the uh, team members and other kind of groups that we lead. I never know where she's going to be. They travel full time. It doesn't matter when those calls come up. There she is. They got a little satellite antenna. They set outside their, um, their traveling trailer, and uh, she's good to go. You can do the same, but you may have to teach your clients why that makes sense for them so that it gives you the freedom to not have to show up geographically in a particular place. So once you let them know how you do your best teaching and coaching, then you're free to travel around the country as you wish. And I think you can do that. I think it's a great example. You know, I do a lot of coaching. I have a client right now in Alaska, as an example. It's a high-level professional. He's in Alaska. We don't meet personally, face to face. It has no no bearing at all on our connection because we meet via Zoom and Skype, email, phone. I mean, we use all those things, but it's really easy to connect and meet and it's more efficient than if he, if he lived here in Franklin, Tennessee, it would be a pain in the neck for him to have to come to my office to meet with me. I mean, think about the added time that that would add. He could live here in the same town as me and have it add an hour in terms of the time obligation for him to come here and meet with me personally. We don't do that. I wouldn't expect him to do that if he lived right here locally. But the fact that he lives thousands of miles away, again, it's just not an issue. And when you move into things like coaching, you can do that. Now, having a background in counseling, as I do, clinical psychology counseling, it's a little different. I still feel that counseling is done best face to face because there are so many things that we can pick up from just eye movement, body contact, body posture. There's a lot of things in that that tell us about how a person is feeling, how well they're doing. So yeah, there's sometimes, I mean, I don't think we can do everything virtually, but I think in your example, teaching Spanish, my gosh, if I were doing that with you as a teacher, yeah, I wouldn't want you to drive back my lane here and have to come into my office. No, I want to start at a particular time, if we're going to start at 7 a.m., let's start at 7 a.m. Let's quit at 8 a.m. We can be exactly on target time-wise. Start and stop. Don't have to worry about, gee, the weather, the traffic, red lights, nothing. Just we're on and off. And I think you can do it more effectively by doing exactly that. We've got, you know, we've got our... Well, not see. You know, we've got two more Coaching with Excellence events coming up. I thought there was one. There's two. There's one that will be May 25th and 26th. got a great group coming. I'm excited about a brand new workbook that we're going to be sharing with those people. Got some guests coming in to share their success stories. You know, I keep seeing success stories. I, I saw yesterday a little clip that we're going to be playing from one of our coaches, Braun Lied. Braun came through our coaching mastery program. He's now an executive director, I think it's called, with the John Maxwell team, but he was on stage and he described a a situation. As a matter of fact, I may pull that little clip up. It's only about a minute and a half long. I may pull that up for next week and play it, so I won't spoil it. But there was a principle that he shared there that's really a profound principle that uh, can help all of us. But I love to see what the coaches are doing as they come through coaching with excellence and go out and do some amazing things. John Schober is now representative of a company that I'm very familiar with. His coaching positioned him as the person they wanted on their team for that. Maritza is she's a nurse. And she continues to work as a nurse, although she's been through our coaching mastery program, but because of her skills as a coach and nurse, they have tapped her on the shoulder to be a heart coach. That's what they call her, a heart coach. So she meets with people, both staff and patients in the hospital who need encouragement, who need a problem resolved. She's that person but instead of calling her, you know, a consultant or administrative assistant, she's a heart coach. I love that term. Love when she shared that with us. I love hearing about what all those people are doing. If you got interest in being a coach, obviously, you know, check out under live events at 48days.com, our upcoming coaching with excellence. Then we have one more coming up later in the fall, and that'll be it for this year. But that's where people get their start in the coaching process lots and lots of people that you hear about we're compiling my daughter ashley and i are compiling right now a whole lot of those success stories that we just love sharing to encourage people to let them know how they can start where somebody was two years ago and now they're firmly established as a coach and ready to go well hey we're gonna just end right there. A lot of things happen here. I know you're busy as well. Thanks for being part of this audience where we can share ideas and opportunities every week. You know, it's certainly not just about problems. Yeah, we all got problems and you know, things that we're confronted with and the work that we do, but there's so many opportunities as well that we have access to. Those are the things that I want you to see week after week. I hope the sharing that we do here on the 48 Days Podcast allows you to see things that others don't. Have spiritual antenna up that other people don't. Eyes to see things that other people miss. That's really what I want you to do. And I hope that this encourages you to do just that. So thanks for being part of this group where we are, in fact, finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Hey, check out the gang, the growing gang over at 40 Days Eagles. A lot of things happen there. We've got weekly mentor sessions where we're teaching particular training classes. Uh, This week, we had Nick Pavlidis on, who's an attorney, sharing about legal things just any kind of legal questions that people had it was amazing the things that bubbled up you know when do you need a trademark when do you need a copyright those are the kind of things that are being shared there just go to 48dayseagles.com to find out more hope you're having a wonderful week easing into the summer here starting to plan what you want even next year to look like have a great week don't let it go it's gonna take